Good morning. Uh, glad to be with you here once more and uh, hope you will uh, locate the outline for the message this morning, which is found at the end of the service bulletin, and you can follow along as we look at God's Word. And let's take a moment to pray together. Father in heaven, your Son has said that apart from you, we can do nothing. And so we humbly ask you, Lord Jesus, to be at work uh, in us, in this place, and especially through your word, which you have given uh, for our instruction. So teach us by your spirit, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, the saying goes that life comes at you fast. One day we are anticipating the joys of spring after being holed up all winter. The next, we're still holed up, feeling like shut-ins in a global pandemic. This time, however, uh, we may be unemployed, or some may still be working but not feeling very safe doing it. Others are working at home and also trying to run a homeschool. Uh, maybe you're angry about all this. That's your feeling. You're just reacting to this because you think it's all a colossal overreaction uh, by our world and by our uh, country itself. Despite how you feel about that today, let me ask you this question. When life comes at you fast, is it just a series of random, unfortunate events? Is it just a series of unfortunate events? The scripture's answer to that is no. Ephesians chapter 1 says that God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. It doesn't say that he causes everything. He works it out. He works it out for good purposes, even through difficult things. Jesus calls this pruning. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus says that God the Father is like a vine dresser. The vine dresser lops off some branches completely, and he shapes other ones up, all to foster our spiritual growth. That's his purpose. Perhaps the most famous example of this pruning is the story of Job. You may know the story. The beginning of it in chapter 1, we see it. It starts with Satan, who slanders Job to God, and, and uh, he tells God that Job only honors him because he wants to keep his blessings. He wants to keep all of the good stuff that he has. Satan tells God this. He says, Job will curse you to your face if you let him suffer. And look at what God's answer to this is in verse 12. Speaking to Satan, God says, Behold, all Job has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. And I want you to notice some things about this. First of all, God does not cause the evil. The suffering is Satan's idea, just as it was when he tempted our ancient ancestors. Human suffering is not God's fault. It's our fault because we trust it in ourselves more than we trusted in God. Here's the second thing. Notice that God never gives up control of the situation. He allows the suffering, but he limits what Satan can do to Job. But obviously, if you read the story, that's a lot. 
It's a difficult thing that happens to Job. He suffers terrible losses. He lost his health. All of his children are killed. And he lost his money. And it's worth pondering those few things for just a moment. His health, death, and money. Are those not the very things we find threatened in this pandemic that the world is going through? Very same things. What's worse, Job has no clue why all of this is happening. And this is not happening because he was a bad person. In fact, he was a very good person. But Job still had some growing to do. Job's story tells us how God uses awful situations for good purposes, including the one that we're in right now. The whole world is in it. This is a season of pruning. The vine dresser's working at every level. He's working on us as individuals. He's working on the church. He's working on this church. And he's working on the world. Jesus says that there are two aspects, two aspects of the vine dresser's pruning. And I want to look at that with you for a few minutes. First, Jesus says the vine dresser eliminates the dying branches. He eliminates them. Look at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. In verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Jesus says that some branches look healthy, they look like they're living, but they're really dying. Only the vine dresser can tell if they're going to bear fruit or not. This fruit is a metaphor for spiritual growth. Obviously, Jesus is not talking about plants. He's talking about people. And his point is actually pretty simple. A living connection with Jesus will have signs of growth, discernible signs. Some parents came to me one time and asked me to pray for their new, newborn child because the baby wasn't gaining weight. And they knew that not growing is a sign of serious health problems. And it's serious for those of us who say we're Christians. Uh, we're supposed to be growing up spiritually too. And if we're not, there's something wrong. Jesus is saying to us that the living and the dying can be side by side in the church of Jesus Christ. He makes the very same point in the parable of the wheat and the weeds in Matthew chapter 13. Some people look like Christians. They do Christian things. They even participate in church, but they are really just serving their own purposes and not God's. One bus businessman uh, told me he went to the particular church that he did because it was good for business. He told me himself he only went there because it was the place to be seen by the town's in influential people. Most of the time it's not so obvious. Only God is qualified to make the call about people. But it is always healthy for us, about other people that is, but it is also always healthy for us to ask ourselves about ourselves. 
You see, we can't just believe in some generic God. Uh, you know, the devil believes that much. Jesus says that he is the true vine. The, singular, there's only one. And the only way to a vital growing connection with God is through Jesus. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. And he said it more than once. Whenever we are connected to Jesus, there will be signs. What are the signs? Well, we will be developing a Christ-like character. That's what the fruit is. We're going to look at how to recognize this fruit later. But for right now, I just want you to hear this before we move to the next point. Not seeing signs of spiritual growth in yourself is a grave concern. Uh, without a change, Jesus says things won't end well. He would rather, um, uh, uh, he's not trying to scare you, is what I want to say. He says uh, the uh, dying branches are going to be eliminated. And that, that does speak about judgment, but Jesus never motivates us to change out of fear. He'd rather offer you something beautiful, which is what he does in uh, the, at the end of this passage that we just read. Look at verse 11. Jesus says, These things, all these things that I've spoken to you, are that your, my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. One of the very specific uh, aspects of the fruit that God wants in us is joy. Jesus wants your joy. And he knows that living in connection with him is the only way that that's possible. That joy comes to living branches who are being pruned for spiritual growth. That's the second thing to look at today. Jesus says that the vine dresser cultivates the living branches. Look at uh, verse 2 again. He says, every branch that does not bear fruit, the father prunes, the vine dresser prunes. Why? That it may bear more fruit. You know, I learned something about pruning uh, from growing tomatoes years ago. You have to learn how to tell which branches will bear fruit and which branches just suck up nutrition. Suckers, is what they call them, are leafy and green. They look like they're healthy, but they'll never produce tomatoes. And if you don't cut them off, your plant will be bushy and green. It'll look healthy, but it won't be very productive. Let's consider some facts about pruning plants that also apply to people. They apply to us when, when God prunes us. And the first thing is this, and it's obvious from the story of, of Job, pruning is painful. Uh, now to a plant, think about this, you're lopping off a limb is nothing short of violence. But get this, I learned this this week. Did you know that plants feel pain? They feel pain. Uh, it's not like our pain because plants don't have a nervous system. But some plants, including tomatoes, I learned, make measurable ultrasonic responses when they're cut or when they're deprived water or when they're put under environmental stress. Now, that's kind of surprising that plants feel pain. 
but it doesn't surprise us at all, does it? Especially when that pain seems undeserved or pointless, dashed dreams, tragic losses, frustrations, hard times, those are often God's pruning shears. We have to acknowledge the hurt, but we also have to remember that God is still in charge, even when we can't see it. You know, Job never learns the backstory of his suffering that we read about a few minutes ago. He never learns that part about Satan or that God was using Job's suffering to confound the devil. But it was also for Job's spiritual growth, and Job does learn about that. Now, again, this suffering that Job went through was not for because he was bad. He went through it because it was God's training plan. And that training plan is so important. God will, uh, will put us through it, even if it hurts, because he knows what lies on the other side of it. Look at Hebrews 12. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Those are, those are character traits. It produces a harvest, that's fruit, of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline is not punishment. It's training that produces lasting change. Here's a second fact. Pruning is strategic. It's strategic. I know that God's pruning, maybe what we're going through right now, seems a little like random hacking, but it's actually carefully done, and it's always done for our growth, and it's always done for purposes far beyond us. I believe that's part of what's happening through this pandemic. It's for us, and, and it's for the wider church. And when I say us, not just us as individuals, but it is, but for the people of God in this local church at St. Andrews. I have some holy hunches about what some of those purposes are, and I invite you to reflect on it and see if you can figure out what you think they are. Pray about it and ask him. See, I, first of all, I suspect that we all have a much deeper appreciation of what a gift we have in one another. We miss each other. We want to be together again because God made us for community. And if we could go back to normal today, we would do it in a heartbeat. But you know, God doesn't prune us so that we can go back to normal. He wants us to grow. He has a purpose in this crisis, even if it is hidden to us even if it is for someone who's going to come after us, and I'm sure it will be for them. In 586 B.C., the Babylonian army destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and marched the Jewish people back to Babylon for 70 years. Jewish worship at the temple was impossible. While they were in Babylon, the Jews started gathering in smaller localized groups called synagogues. When their captivity ended, Jewish believers scattered across the Middle East, building synagogues wherever they went. Later, many, many centuries later, the synagogues were still scattered throughout the Middle East 
and those became the first place in every city where the apostles would go and start telling people about the good news of Jesus. Job had no idea that thousands of years later, God would be blessing people like us through his story. But he is. We have no idea the things that God is going to do through us because of what we're going through right now. So what is that? What is God doing right now and right here? Well, I wonder about this place, this room, where we like to gather for worship. It's a beautiful space, and I love it. I love meeting here with the St. Andrew's family, and I can't wait to resume that. You know, worshiping in the living room doesn't feel quite the same when you can't be with the people you love the most. However, could it be possible that God is asking us to reflect out how, on how important it is for us to have things just to our liking in our church or else we're grumpy? History shows, you know, there's always a danger of making places even sacred places, much more important than they are. You know, it's always been considered uh, a wrong uh, to blaspheme God. But did you know by the time of Jesus, blaspheming the temple was an offense? It was an offense that actually triggered an angry mob and moved them to make the first Christian martyr, Stephen. That was one of the reasons they killed him. It was one of the charges against the Apostle Paul and, of course, against Jesus. But Jesus sees things so differently from us. In John chapter 4, he met a Samaritan woman at a well. You may remember that story. And he, he started asking her these, these probing questions. And she was feeling uncomfortable perhaps and she started dodging those questions and she raised a debate about the right place to worship. Look at how Jesus responded in John 4:23. He says the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. That's the kind of worship that Jesus wants. He cares uh, much more about the spirit of our worship than where we do it. You know, closing the church building uh, has changed worship for us for uh, a brief season at least. But worship in spirit and truth can happen absolutely anywhere. That was Jesus' point. Another thing this pruning has done for me is this deepened my compassion for my brothers and sisters around the world. You know, many of them don't have church buildings at all. Or they, if they do, and I've seen some of these with my uh, brothers and sisters in Africa, they have what we would consider very inadequate ones. In places like China, a pastor like me who would run afoul of the authorities could easily find his church leveled the next day. That's normal for them. That's normal. This pruning also reinforces for me how critical our plan to increase our small groups is for God's mission. You know, it's going to be a while. We don't know how long before we can resume worshiping 
uh, in a full sanctuary, but, but with proper planning, many of us right now can worship in smaller groups. Smaller groups, under 10. Um, and I'm convinced that these smaller groups are part of God's strategy, part of his plan for us, for introducing new people to Jesus. You see, your friends, your neighbors are much likelier to visit your house than come to a church full of strangers. So pruning is painful, but because it's strategic, it's productive. It's productive, and that's the last fact to consider. And I, this is really the way I want to bring this message to a conclusion. Um, this concern for productivity is what unites uh, the work of Jesus with the work of the Father. It sums up the entire purpose of this passage on uh, the, uh, the vine and the branches, and it actually extends uh, a bit further in John chapter 15. In this passage, think about this. In this passage, nine times Jesus refers to fruit, to much fruit, to being fruitful, and to having lasting fruit. Remember, fruit, what is it? It's a, it's a metaphor for spiritual growth. That became the mission of the, the Apostle Paul, bearing fruit in the lives of the people that he was serving. In Galatians chapter 4, he said doing this for him made him feel like a woman in labor. That's how much he longed to see Christ formed in the Galatian Christians. And in Galatians chapter 5, he described what this fruit looks like. Look at it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the Jesus traits that God wants in you. He wants them in you. But to know um, before we begin to long for them ourselves, we've got to see them in him. We've got to see the beauty of Jesus so that we want to become more like him. And so I want to invite you to do something right now. I want to invite you to just close your eyes, and I'm going to, we'll do a little uh, imagination exercise. I want to uh, ask you to imagine what it looks like to see these traits in Jesus. And, and this, I'll do it quickly, but you could spend some extended time on this and and really allow this to sink into your heart, and I invite you to do that. Love. Love was so deep for Jesus that it moved him to pray for people who were nailing him to a cross. Joy. Joy in Jesus delighted and enabled him to delight in the success of other people. The disciples came back uh, elated from their first mission trip, and we read that Jesus was thrilled about it. Peace. Peace so deep that Jesus could sleep in a boat that was about to sink in a violent storm. Patience. Patience. Boy, this one's hard to come by, isn't it? Patience in Jesus was so durable that he put up with childish, squabbling, slow-to-learn disciples, and he turned them into people who changed the world. 
Jesus was so filled with kindness that he absolutely shocked people by wasting his valuable time by, by treating children like they were the most important people in the world and taking them into his arms and onto his lap. Goodness. Goodness was so ingrained that Jesus fearlessly protected a woman caught in adultery by exposing the hypocrisy of the mob that accused her. Faithfulness. Jesus never, not once, acted selfishly. And he was so confident about that, he challenged people to point out even a single sin that they could charge him with. Gentleness. In Jesus, his gentleness was without a shout or a show. Jesus raised a dead little girl back to life with a whisper. It was as if, as if he was waking her up for a nap. He just leaned close to her and he said, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Gentle. Self-control. Self-control so complete that Jesus never spoke a single word that he needed to take back. Not a word that he regretted or needed to apologize for. Boy, I'd love to say that about myself. Wouldn't you like to be described like this? I would. Pruning is the way God helps that to happen. Well, how does the pruning process work, you may wonder? Well, in a plant, pruning removes those branches, those suckers that I talked about, because they rob the plant of vital water and nutrients that are needed for the whole plant to be healthy. When God prunes us, what does he do? He loosens our grip on things that keep us spiritually stuck, like finding security and meaning and comfort from things that can't last. He wants us to find those things from Jesus. The question is this. When we face tragic losses, dash dreams, frustrating circumstances and things like that, or even if we just fear those things, how do we respond to it? Well, we have a choice. We can walk away from God because we don't like it or because we can't understand it. We can get mad. We can dive deep into the tank of self-pity. Or we can lean into Jesus. Jesus calls that abiding in him. Seeking to live connected to him all the time. Abiding is where you live. A living branch is not just connected for an hour on Sunday morning. It's connected 24-7. It's all the time. Jesus wants us to cultivate that kind of an awareness of him, to look for his activity, to listen for his voice in Scripture and in life and in pruning. Abiding in Jesus includes dumping out your unprocessed emotions to him, your fears, your doubts, your anger. You can get mad at him if you want to. Job did. God can handle it. Job told God he wished he'd never been born. He said he wanted to interrogate God, put God on the witness stand. But you know, at the end of the story, guess what happened for Job? 
Job got more of God. God revealed himself to Job more clearly. So in the end, Job knew God better, and Job knew himself better too. Instead of being obsessed with knowing why things are happening, my advice is this, start to ask what. Not why, but what. What do you want me to learn, Lord? How do you want me to grow, Lord? What do you want me to learn about you or about myself? Well, how can you tell if you're growing spiritually? I said I'd answer that question. How do you respond to your pruning? Are you seeing any of the Jesus traits in yourself? Can other people see them? I have suggested a way to do that uh, in my reflection question. I want to invite you to use those questions. The main thing that Jesus wants to point us to in John chapter 15 isn't just the, uh, the, those individual uh, fruit that are listed in Galatians chapter 5. That's not where Jesus goes here. The main thing, and it's the one that Paul starts with in Galatians chapter 5, is love. And a particular kind of love Jesus has in mind. Do we have a growing desire to do what pleases God. In verse 10 it says that keeping commandments, God's commandments, is all about love. Call it loving obedience. There's a way of obeying God that has nothing to do with love. Um, it, it has more to do with fear or guilt. It's obedience out of a grim duty, or maybe it's just a way we think we can keep God off of our back. There is no expectation of blessing, only of disapproval if we fail. That's not the kind of relationship that God wants for us. Loving obedience is not focused on us, but it's focused on the one that we love. I love this uh, movie that I, I really think is funny called The Prince's Bride. There's this poor farmhand named Wesley who's hopelessly in love with the beautiful Buttercup. And Buttercup is always toying with Wesley's heart, asking him to do things for her. And Wesley's answer every time is this, as you wish, as you wish. He lives to do Buttercup's will because he loves her. That's what loving obedience looks like. A man who's not in love would roll his eyes and say, what do you want now? He might do what she wants, but it's not because he wants to. But Wesley does it out of love. You probably won't be surprised that my wife loves it when I will look at her and say, when she asks me to do something, I say, as you wish. She knows the story, and she knows that to her, that sounds like love. You know, it sounds like love to God, too. So there's a plan in God's pruning. As painful as it can be, his pruning is strategic. And if we lean more on Christ through it, we'll get more of him. His nutrition, will, his spirit will flow through us more fully. It will turn out to be for our welfare and blessing, but it will also be for uh, 
for others through what God wants to do for them through us. Even if we never get to see it unfold. Trust God that he has a plan in his pruning. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for this encouraging word from you. Father, help us to focus not on um, the pruning, but on its effects. Uh, what you desire through it. Lord, even when we can't see it, help us to trust that it's at work. And in your time, Lord, we pray that you would give us the blessing and the encouragement of seeing how you use us for your work. In Jesus' name, amen.